My low, if you really got to know, <laughs> during our fight last night. Um, so we... Part A or part B. Yeah, so we got into a fight post-dinner. In we, which you said, fuck you, you fucking asshole. No, no, no. To I, me. No, I said, fuck you, I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Just just to make sure that you knew that I wasn't just falling into the right. to the thing that we decided not to say. Right. I was like, fuck you. I mean it. Yeah. And then. Because uh, you li- made it a rule that you never say fuck you in an argument. Yep. And no, I said, fuck you. I mean it. I don't want this argument to continue. And then you called me a fucking asshole. Uh, not just a, as a rant. You said, what are you talking about? I said, you're a fucking asshole. I think I love you. I think I love. I think I do. Hey, honey, can you not do that ever again? Thanks. I think I love you. I think at least I think I do. No, I, I love you. No, I ne- have never once done that. I think I love you. I think <laughs> I love ridiculous. you. I think at least I think I do. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I think I love you. Sorry. Well, congratulations on two months. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I never thought I'd make it this far. <laughs> so... <laughs> Two of two months. Yeah, two of two months. Where do we go from here? Nowhere to go but down. Um, my high for the week was going to the Grove with you. That was fun, even though it ended poorly. Or in, it was sandwiched between two poor events. But being at the Grove and kind of having all the Christmas lights, and we kind of sat and had a drink, and that was nice. It felt Christmassy. Yeah, we got in a fight before the Grove, and we got in a fight kind of at right. the Grove, and we got in a fight. But at the after, Grove, it after was the fun. Grove. Yeah. At the Grove was fun. Yep. We kind of walked around and just sat and, I don't know, stared at pretty lights. That was nice. Yeah, I liked it. It was very My LA. low of the week. I mean, I guess it was us having a disagreement last night, but it wasn't, I don't know. I that think wasn't it, that much of a low for me. Yeah. Um, Our fights don't affect me anymore. <laughs> I want to start taking more notes during the week mm-hmm. because I feel like every time we get to this... I have like a 24 hour memory. Actually, I know what my low is. My low for this week is that I've been having this rising dread that we've just settled back into a routine and we're doing all of these changes to our apartment, like literally redoing every single room, which is we don't have that many rooms, but like we bought a new couch and we've had to figure out all this shit and I'm leaving on Saturday and I'm not going to be back here for a month. And that's giving me a lot of anxiety and it's all for good stuff and we'll be together for some of it. But just like. I feel so rootless and mm-hmm. I have felt rootless for the past six months and I have felt some anxiety about it. I was going to say maybe that's just the way of the world, but I don't think that's necessarily No, it's the case. not. Most people are, are, I don't even know if I would technically be an LA resident. I think this year I have been away a cumulative six months. Yeah. You're I feel close. Like I've been away so much. Yeah. You're really close. You're gonna have to pay taxes in Montana and New Hampshire and Vermont <laughs> and Massachusetts. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was going to say like, maybe that's just normal. And like, of course people are getting married and everyone's flying everywhere. But I think that is literally part of the collective on we on we mental crisis, uh, that's going on. And I think people are supposed to have homes and have bases. And I think, yeah, I think it's bittersweet because we're, we've spent today like investing in ourselves and nesting a little bit and making sure that the place that we live is wonderful but then to leave that place is really sad yeah we're also i'm leaving the place where we haven't finished everything and i'm just prepping i last week i came back from living out of a a tiny carry-on suitcase for three and a half weeks and on saturday i will be leaving this apartment with a suitcase of stuff and I won't be back for a month. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, I don't even fucking know what clothes I own anymore. I don't like any of my clothing. Yeah. I just, and we're going to, the, the reality of you and I going home is that we always sleep in at least four homes, Mm -hmm. which is really stressful. We're not going back to visit one family and staying in a house. We're staying at at least four houses. Yeah. If not five. So that's not fun. We kind of have a theme going on in the first two months of, there's a tension between loving our roots and thinking about being LA based and investing our time and investing our money in the space that we live in and also being completely displaced and constantly on the road. I think physically, but also a little bit emotionally. Yeah. I mean, how are we supposed to create, how are we supposed to create a community in LA when we're gone this frequently? Yeah. But I wonder too, like for us, 
we do fine when you're away for a long time, you know? I think I think fine is the word I would give it. Like I don't think we crush long distance. I don't know who crushes long I was distance. Say, what couple crushes long distance? Um, but it is interesting. I think we've been on the road together a lot in the last two months since we got married. Um, but this is gonna be the first time that we're apart for a long time since we got married. Yeah, and the irony too is that of the three, now we're embarking upon our third year in LA. Of the three years in L.A., the first year I was in L.A. was the only year that I wasn't traveling all the time because I was a nanny and I wasn't in grad school yet. And so but that was a year where you and I weren't living together. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a hard thing to to figure out is that the last two years I've been at my residency for a cumulative month of the year. I've been going home a lot more. My sister had a baby and a part of me wants to just say, like, enough is enough. We're going to be here and I'm going to make a point not to travel but that's kind of impossible to do. Like we're already planning. We're going to go to like Norway to your family's house for two weeks in yeah. August. And we're gonna, I'm going to be home. Like I'm already thinking ahead and we're going to have February, March, April here, but we also have multiple weekend trips planned. And then in June I'm gone again. And then in July I want to be home with my family for a little bit. And then in Norway, I mean, there's just, I don't know. And it's obviously a, it's a self-inflicted problem. It's that we live far away and I haven't created necessarily Maybe the boundaries that I didn't even know I should be creating. Yeah. And my family isn't, no one's forcing me to come home, but I don't know. Anyways, I feel stressed out about it. Yeah. I mean, there's something about it that's like the least approachable topic you could think of because it's like flying yeah. around the world doing what, but then there's, yeah, but I don't have but, any savings. It's not like that's, I'm like, that's fucking, the thing is that like on the other side of it is like, it's not like we are living a jet set life. No. And I think a ton most people that I I'm know, like basic economy all the time. Yeah, most that one guy, uh, <laughs> sir, can we switch seats? No, it's okay. And oh then, yeah, like, and then he wasn't. Halfway through the flight, he was like, "Could I have a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon?" <laughs> I was like, "Fuck you, dude! I just got back surgery." Um, which I'm gonna say for the next decade. Yeah, well, um, no, but I think even though our circumstances are somewhat extraordinary, being on the West Coast and our families are on the East Coast. I think a lot of people that I know have people all over the place and a lot of different things to think about. And I think we're all hitting this age collectively. But that's why everyone is depressed globally. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, it's this thing where it's totally normal now to fly all the time. My dad never fucking flew growing up. Yeah. You didn't. Unless he was flying a numb. Okay. But I'm serious. (laughs) Like, you, that's why... That's why he has community roots is because he stayed in one place. And yes, there are things to be gained by traveling, but like think of how much you lose. I think there is like diminishing marginal returns to the idea of bouncing around all over the world. Cause I think the, the one-to-one is you go somewhere, you get perspective. Right. And I think the challenge now is that we have decided to live in the place where we think we're getting perspective. Right. And the other people are, back in another place right so it's not just like we have that i think there's already a problem with everyone home base out travel back travel back travel back travel back we're doing all of that stuff plus navigating between effectively two like spiritual homes meaning our current home and our uh home home yeah so it's a lot lot what are your highs and lows for the week um before that you were just saying your first year here in LA, you were a nanny and you felt I was a nanny for a Beverly Hills family. Yeah. It was dope. Yeah, it was great. By the way, uh Parasite made me think of when you were a nanny and we literally were Be careful what you say. That scene. Riley. <laughs> Be careful what you say. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Be even, really careful. Even what just you comparing say. it to Parasite is yeah, tough. Yeah, we were not like Parasite. We were really responsible. <laughs> caretakers of a home i'm not even buying into this joke right now i do not want to <laughs> this is so dangerous i don't want to as a quick aside i love uh, the family i nannied for i loved those children if they ever listened to this they were the only kids i've ever liked and i've said that to multiple people yeah they from what i have heard there they were awesome kids. they weren't allowed sugar and they weren't allowed technology that was what i learned yeah we should actually talk about them don't when we talk about sugar parenting and in don't the future technology and your kids will be just better doesn't yeah. matter who they are yeah um as we are using technology while drinking sugar <laughs> But quick aside on house sitting, we used to house sit for this lovely family, (laughs) (laughs) different family. 
and Caroline did it once, and I met them when I went over and visited when Caroline was house-sitting, and then they were like, hey, Riley, Caroline's not around. Do you want to watch for the weekend? And I was like, you bet, guys. I love <laughs> I love your dogs. I love your home, and I'm a responsible guy, and this is going to be great. And I almost guarantee that they had cameras somewhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Because I was so bored and basically did a bunch of timed photos to try to send Caroline a funny photo of like, it's going fine of me skinny dip diving into the pool. And diving is like a really conservative way to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) And I took probably like 10 timed photos. And it was either like someone who was coming to work on the house who was like, I'm going to moonwalk out of here and call the owners. Right. Or there was a camera. And then we've never been asked to house it again. Sucks. It's all my fault. It's it's completely your fault. And it's such a bummer. That was such a nice house. Yeah. That's definitely the reason. Uh, okay. So my real thing was that um, your first year in LA, you were a nanny. Now we're kind of jumping all around. And you felt like you had. Now I'm unemployed. Yeah, now, <laughs> and you felt like you had more of a base when you first got here. I wonder if back to the Jedediah Jenkins thing. Or as he's been called, Jebediah Jenkins. Uh, Jedediah Jenkins thing. <laughs> Narrator, Riley has never met Jedediah Jenkins. I know, I was just talking about that podcast. I know, but I you're to... implying, for anyone who would listen to this, you're implying that you know him. I'm going to reach out. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, he wrote the book, To Shake the Sleeping Self. Did the podcast rounds. But was interviewed, and they talk about, uh, I guess, a construct that's in the book about... Um, order disorder and then reorder right and he didn't come up with it he inherited it from uh, a religious leader of some kind that you know he talked to yes but anyway i guess i'm wondering if i think the way that they describe that is on a macro level of life like phases of life because they specifically say when you're a child there's order and you need order right and i'm going to bastardize this but you need order your parents tell you don't do that just because because you need that and then you blow that system up. Disorder. Disorder. Say when you're going to college, whatever, growing up, adolescence. And then hopefully most some people find reorder. Uh, and there's a whole bit about how people who stay in the disorder phase tend to be more left-leaning, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, what people am People who are really into order tend to be conservative-leaning. Yeah. And then reorder, you tend to be closer to the middle of the spectrum because... You have an understanding that for every action, there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction. And I, and I'll get to my original point at some point, but I find that (laughs) concept of reorder really interesting. And I feel like I'm starting to at least like see its outline on the horizon. We are in a state of disorder Like a land ho kind of thing. Yeah, no, we're squarely in disorder, but I feel like I'm kind of starting to see it. And it's kind of what you and I were talking about last week about discipline where not discipline in like a how do we punish each other for wrongdoings but another digression which is a thing we leave the stove on all the time we do and we, we now do. and we now have a rule where uh <laughs> when one person catches the other person leaving Public fire <laughs> on leaving fire on in our apartment then you give them the look you give them the the worst was when i left the gas on all night that was really unacceptable holy hell we should have one of those um signs that's like how many days since our last accident (laughs) (laughs) except we have to go a full year without leaving the stove on before we have a kid that's fun it's yeah it's it's scary that's our new rule definitely fun we have to go a full year without without, leaving the stove (laughs) we have to hit 365 days since our last incident on that little sign before we can even think about having kids you could definitely order one of those pretty quick certainly that's really great (laughs) um Oh, so anyway, the thing we were talking last week about discipline and I feel like we're still in this like fun discovery exploration phase. Let's go to Big Sur and hike around, which isn't necessarily something that we're going to come out of our lives. Yeah, I know, but that's a bad example of disorder. (laughs) You're making us sound so California. Um, But I guess because we're talking about how do we create systems in our lives, in our life together, um, where we can do the things that we love, which is being spontaneous and, you know, fun and creative and blah, blah, blah. But also pair that with work ethic in a, on a, in a consistent way. I feel like I can see the shape of reorder on the horizon. So it's a high. 
Oh, are you trying to get me into highs and lows? I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, can I can I finish my point here? Finish your point. I think they're talking about that in a macro sense, and I was just talking about it in a macro sense. I wonder if it happens in a micro sense too, where you could have disorder, order, disorder, and reorder on a more cyclical basis, where maybe like over the course of the lot, maybe over the course of five years, can can that process happen in a more tangible micro way? a synecdoche of the full system, if you will, where it happens like we have a year of order, a year of disorder and a year of reorder where we kind of sine wave it through time. Well, I mean, that's a whole Marie Kondo thing, right? Where the simple act of cleaning out your apartment can change your life. Yeah. Like the simple act of you and I redoing our apartment and then holding ourselves to keeping our fucking shoes in the fucking shoe organizer <laughs> can have an impact on our lives. I right. <laughs> Beneath like the Marie Kondo, if you like this, you might also like, and it's like Caroline Burke, keep your fucking shoes in your fucking fucking shoe shoe organizer. (laughs) A memoir. And the key art is just your face zoomed in. And you can only see just grimacing. Yeah. Just an absolute fucking (laughs) mugshot. 15 fucking cents. What? I'm not explaining that. People either get that or they won't. Oh, man. 15 fucking cents. Call in. You and your friends can each contribute a dime. Oh, don't say it. The best skit of all time. Yeah, you're right. We got to see him soon. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so long, long walk. Through okay, that the, was your high. What was your low? Long walk through the woods to get to my highs and lows. Oh my god! How does that even count as a high? What did I say? You feel like we're reaching reorder. Okay. All right. My low. If you really gotta know. <laughs> During our fight last night, um, so we... Part A or part B. Yeah, so we got into a fight post-dinner. In which you said, fuck you, you fucking asshole. No, no, no. No, I said, fuck you, I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Just just to make sure that you knew that I wasn't just falling into the the thing that we decided not to say. Right. I was like, fuck you, I mean it. Yeah. And then... uh, Because you made it a rule that you never say fuck you in an argument. Yep. And no, I said, fuck you, I mean it. I don't want this argument to continue. And then you called me a fucking asshole. Uh, not just a, as a rant. You said, what are you talking about? I said, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, cool. what happened here is that um, <laughs> you know, I made an offhand comment about uh, an ongoing health issue that I guess I hadn't necessarily been forthright about. And you and I have only ever talked about it in terms of humor. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I think I, you should just say what the health issue is. Sure. So, well, to unpack the whole thing, we first got into a little bit of a fight because Caroline was trying to pour soup that had veggies in it into a to-go <laughs> container at a restaurant. Things that five-year-olds can and do. And I saw disaster coming from a long ways off because any given morning, Car- <laughs> I might wake up to Caroline just <laughs> bouncing coffee from one mug to another over my head and just spilling coffee at... You have a tough time with, like, what's the right exit speed from cup to cup. You're treating me like I'm handicapped. My point, though, is that there are a few things, there are a few points of codependency that you and I have created over time, and some of it's endearing, and I, I like it. I have never, never... Fix your pop filter. Just make to sure be clear, away. I have never consented to a codependency in which I cannot pour liquids from one container to another. But we have had mornings where you've been like, oh, oh, what am I doing with these two coffees? And you've made a big bit out of it. And it's no, funny. No, I haven't. Yeah, you've made it a funny thing in the past. I've never said, I'm so messy. You're so clean. I didn't say that that was what you were saying. All I'm saying is we've made jokes together. We laughed about it together. I wrote about it in my diary. Okay, Anyone? but there's an irony here that both of our spats, well, part A of the dual spats, we're both health related. You were jabbing at my health and something you thought was humorous and I didn't find funny. I was technically jabbing at your health or of like a tick or a, a mine wasn't about health. Mine was just about the fact that we were both about to be covered in Udon. Right. But yours was the implication that I'm incapable of performing basic motor function. Okay. And yours was about your body. And so they were both like personal things that we didn't know that the other cared about. On a on a deeper level than just making jokes, mm-hmm. but the difference is that I didn't say 
fuck you. I mean it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a low blow. Didn't it really sucked. do much. How much background is too much background? I guess I'll just say it, and then if I want to cut it, I'll cut it. <laughs> Via my back issues, I had spine surgery a little while ago, and good lord, I can't wait for some insurance company's AI to just scrub the audio landscape, natural language process this into text, and be like, that guy's going to die <laughs> way earlier than anyone else. Jack up his premiums. My God, scary times to be alive. Um, but yeah, I had spine surgery. I have a like a nerve issue in my lower back connected to that. Same thing that controls my legs, which is what was giving me problems, is connected to my bladder. I never have any idea when I need to pee. And sometimes I pee my pants. Not in a full way. In a not, little way. Not in like a go home way. Just in a panic in a stall kind of way. And if you had you, I would say it looks like a few drops. Sure. That's what it's like a small quarter size dark spot. Yeah. For context, uh, right before our wedding rehearsal, I come out and Caroline looks at me and she goes, you have like a little spot. And I look down. I, it looks like I poured an entire bottle of wine on my leg. Tough. Really tough. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't even know what it was. Like I was talking about soup and then you were just like, you pee your pants. We were, I was telling you that it really bothered me that you had basically, it felt like shamed me in this tiny restaurant and been like, let's, I'll, I'll do it. I'll pour the soup. Yeah. And then we got into the car and I was saying, I really didn't like that. And then I said something, something to the, to the tune of how would you feel if I was like, you can't even fucking go to the bathroom without pissing your pants. Yeah. And I was under no I had no idea that this was an ongoing issue. Carol also kind of thought that it was like an all men suffer from this kind thing. of thing. I don't know. I have one sister. I don't understand men. You're the first person I've ever dated. How and funny would that be if 50% of the population was just constantly at risk of peeing I mean, their it's, pants? To me, it's no less juvenile than the fact that men can't seem to put down the toilet seat. So true. Yeah, you do it now. Yes. Yes. But I'm just saying like it's it's no more ridiculous to me than a lot of the stuff that I don't understand about the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And I was... We've only ever sort of like joke laughed about it and the way that you responded shocked me and I immediately felt a whole range of emotions of like guilt that I had no idea that this was so sensitive to you. Frustration that you had never communicated that to me and then that led to our second fight. And uh, well, so the real thing that we ended up talking about, so we go to the Grove, blah, 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 blah. What we end up talking about in the car is that you've grown up with a family who's really connected to your health care. And I establish independence from my family in a different, in, in so many ways, not to say that one is better than the other well, much, much earlier. Yeah. And I maybe having a network of people that help you with your health care is good. Um, but I think the thing that, I like this was the this is maybe the most surprising week of our marriage so far to me. Why don't we say what happened first? Oh, I mean, like the whole fight is basically just how do how do I involve you in my health care? Because right. it's something that I haven't talked to you about yet. But uh, but on a, like a physical level, I said, now that I know this, I would love to I really want to help you. Like, let's take care of this. This isn't like this is something that should be fixed. This isn't something we should wait on. And then you were kind of like, I don't. I think you kind of pushed back me a little bit fairly saying well, this is my problem and I'm going to fix it. Basically, you were like, let me see the cut. Let me try to put a bandaid on it. And I was like, don't look at it. It's embarrassing. And, and I, you kind of shut me out. Yeah, totally. Immediately. It, definitely. Um, and I think like micro sense with this particular issue, we've talked about it. I think there are, it's like, great, I go see the doctor, you know, but I think as it represents the greater whole, like. Uh, it's hard for me to think about involving you in my healthcare. And something I said last night was how is this making the situation better? Now I'm already, I'm already trying to figure out like how to do my healthcare on my own. And now I have to think about how to do my healthcare plus involve you in my healthcare, uh, which is a callous thing to say to your spouse. But the, the reason why I'm saying it's the most surprising week of our marriage so far to me is like, 
I kind of figured I knew all of the variables. And as it pertains to healthcare, it was like, of course, your health is my health. Of course, my health is your health. Like we both want to live forever and spend as much time as we possibly can together. So of course, you're like, if you're like, stop smoking, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I was thinking about doing that myself. Let's live together forever. Or if I say something to you, but with this, it's much more hands-on and tangible and was like an entirely new variable that I didn't even think about. But when I lay it all out, you're totally right. If I bring you in on this process, even if it feels redundant or stupid at this point, because I'm like, I just, I just have to get an appointment with my PCP and just go talk to them about this thing. And then we'll figure out what they say. What I said last night was if I don't include you at this stage, I'm not going to include you at the next stage when I actually get a doctor's opinion and then need to figure out how to deal with that doctor's opinion, how to move forward. And that's honestly, I've already seen how important your perspective is on that stuff with everything we did with my back, because I'm not a great advocate for my own health. I walk in and I downplay symptoms because I don't like making a big deal of whatever's going on with me. And I'm a terrible patient because I hate doing rehab. I hate thinking long-term. I hate committing to things like doing PT or whatever it is, taking medicine, fill in the blank. And in so many ways, like you are a very important yin to my yang, not just in a, on principle, what should a partnership be, but specifically for my specific customized instance, I definitely need a partner to help with my own health. So it's been hard for me to think about that and hard for me to wrap my head around how to start doing that. And I, all I see is a long road ahead to the place that I need to get mentally to have a healthy relationship with us and my health kind of. Yeah. Everything else I see, we're pretty close or we're there or we're better or whatever. With my health, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I hate this word, but I feel like last night... You're like, bitches i feel like last night i was very triggered because we had versions of this same argument over the summer when your back was really fucked up and there were moments where i would be like we should push this but i also didn't know what i was talking about because i'm not in the medical field my, my family is but i'm not it's a family business right and you would tell me I'm fine. I'm getting it figured out. I'm going to a doctor. And so then my parents who are, who have very contextual jobs and would look at him when he came home, my dad said he needs surgery. And I pushed them away because I was so uncomfortable with my position. I didn't want to push them on you. And I was kind of like, leave him alone. He's an adult. He knows what he's doing. And we basically pushed off this thing for several weeks where you were in excruciating pain. And the only reason that we were able to finally figure it out and get surgery was because my parents pushed it they kept calling and my mom was really aggressive about it. My dad was aggressive about it and you got surgery before a wedding. Thank God. But I feel a kind of PTSD about it because in retrospect, I'm thinking, Oh my God, I was basically complicit with you when you were very rightly scared and overwhelmed of feeling so much pain and having back pain and not knowing what to do. And I wasn't helping. I was the partner who was saying, he's fine. Leave him alone. When in reality, I should have been pushing on you and saying, you're not fine. We need to do something else. If this if this shitty physician that you saw isn't helping you, we need to find another one. We need to get a second opinion. And what I've learned, all of my grandparents are dead. And what I've learned <laughs> from spending a lot of time in hospitals. I love you, I love you Nana. I love you, Papa. I love yeah, you, all Opa, of Riley's grandparents you, are alive. And all of mine are dead. But what I've learned and what my parents have talked to me about is that it takes a community. Healthcare is really overwhelming and being sick is really overwhelming. And you cannot expect the person who's sick to be the person who's advocating for themselves. That's yeah. the whole point of family on a very instinctual level. And so when we were talking about that last night, I felt this really big frustration come over me where it's like, how the fuck am I supposed to be your the most significant type of partner for you? When you're telling me I'm, you're, I'm fine. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, but you weren't fine last time. Yeah. And we and you're not fine now. And it doesn't have to be terminal cancer for us to be aggressive. And in the same way that you're figuring out how I play a role in your stuff, I'm figuring out how to work with you when very often when you're sick, you're you're. My default thing when I'm sick is to take as much help from everyone. I want to be like a jelly blob. I want everyone to feed me. I want people to take I want to treat me like a baby. You very much put your hackles up. 
and you say you're like a dog where you're like, I'm fine. I've got this thorn in my paw. Don't come near me. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And neither is necessarily wrong. There's instincts to both. But the, the challenge of moving through it can be really hard because this is the last thing I'll say. Like I said last night, every additional moment that this happens, I'm a little bit more scared when you have a health thing because I'm like, fuck, I don't want Riley to get mad at me. So it's this we've talked about this in the past about when you're reinforcing fights and all of a sudden at some point the couple stops having the fight yeah. because you know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, that's the scariest thing. And there was me. a moment last night where it's like, fuck, Riley's so mad at me. And I'm mad at him. And all of it is because, like, I had no I, I had no idea that there was a health problem Quick that you were sensitive about. digression, and I have a response to your point here, which I think is a very valid one, is that after all of this, we go and get a glass of wine. We are hanging out, having a decent night. We drive home. I don't even know what happened. That's not a digression. I think we should talk about that. Okay, well, let's table it. Because we got in a second fight. We got in a second fight. Tabled the second fight. Yeah, table it. I think the crux of one of the things that I keyed in on when you were talking was at the very beginning when you said, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need my help. He's an adult. He's got this. What kind of sentence is he's an adult? He's got this. Right. Like What kind of threshold is he's an adult? And early on, I think I took my health into my own hands and put these walls up around it because to me that felt like a marker of adulthood where right. I was like, don't come near me. I have this under control. And then I would, I would like go back to my corner and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think now I'm realizing that it's the exact opposite. And how do you actually make it easier for people to help you? I don't think it's a binary between like, do you put the walls up and have no one help you? Or do you, lean fully on other people and be like, I have the sniffles. What am I doing? I think there's a, I think you can get good at figuring out when to ask for help, when to let people help you, what kind of help to ask for and what kind of help to let people give you. Um, and yeah, I, and I think also I, your spouse, that, that's different. There should, I, I don't think that there should be as much regulation for your spouse. Yeah, totally. No, exactly. And I think like there's, the cool thing that we're doing, I think part of part of this is that this health issue that we're talking about where I piss my pants all the time. I'm not laughing. I'm not going <laughs> to laugh at that because I'm fucking I've learned my lesson. Yeah, no, I um, well, that's the other thing. I don't want you to like flinch every time I talk about a specific well, then thing. Don't hit me. <laughs> I do. I even need to clarify that you don't hit me. Yeah, I don't know. Do you? Um. OK, well. <laughs> Anytime that we're walking around at any given point, Caroline might turn around and with one finger, just jab me in the belly button and my belly button is super or the sensitive anus. or the butthole. If I'm walking upstairs, you better believe I walk up sideways now, even when I'm alone, even when I'm alone, just in case you pop up out of nowhere and just credit card me. Uh, and you better believe we are, it's 2019. It's a chip. It's not a swipe. It's a chip. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, now that we've bared all, um, what, what, what did you say just before this? And I said, I was talking about this medical condition where I pissed my pants. What? What do you mean? What was I talking about? I was making a point. <laughs> you were just talking for a while. But I was making a point. Um, you have your hack, you have your levels up. You're trying to figure out it was adulthood for you. How to accept help. Oh, you and I. Uh, the thing that I'm looking forward to now is that this specific medical condition is frankly something that was like in one form or another pre-existing before you and I met. So it wasn't anything where I was like, ah, this is starting to happen. I should tell Caroline. It was just kind of like, ah, that weird thing is worse now. Mm. So there was never any trigger point where I was coming to you and saying, here's this thing that I have. And at what point when we're dating or whatever, am I going to be like, hey, I've been thinking about auditing my health in front of you. <laughs> so I, I don't know how many of those could possibly be left, but right. it's almost like now moving forward, anything that comes up, then that's just the process is just, Hey, this thing that I'm feeling, it might be tiny, but I'm going to go get it checked out and you say, okay, we'll keep it on it. Or like, right. how can I help you or whatever, you know? Right. So anyway, moving forward, I feel like it's gonna be less of an issue because this was a quote unquote preexisting condition. Right. So health is a big one that I did not expect. It's like that's one that's going to continue to come up. Yeah. Big surprise. Fight number two. 
we're driving home. No, so we go to the Grove and it's lovely. Oh. We have a lovely time at the Grove. And then we go home. <laughs> and we drove because Ubers to the Grove are 70 fucking dollars. And you better believe I wasn't paying for that. Yeah. So we drove there and back. Also, it's a hundred bucks to sit on Santa's lap at the Grove. It's insane. It's a hundred bucks <laughs> and you wait in a line that wraps around the corner. Yes. It's crazy. And we also couldn't believe how many people were in line for that trolley ride, which cannot take more than two minutes. It was the Grove li- is not big. It was literally like Christmas <laughs> was a thing that only existed at the Grove. People were coming from all over the world to like witness Christmas at the Grove. I yeah, could not believe it. It's like it. 70 degrees up. Yeah. Jeez. We leave the Grove. We drive back home. And for the record, we we had reached a resolution. We talked for a while in the parking lot of the Grove. We were good. Yeah, we had a we beautiful walked around the, the Grove. Grove. We had a glass of wine. We were having a good night. We really alienated some strangers, and that's not even something that we're going to talk about. And then we get in the car, and we drive back home, and I think literally just in conversation, my tonality maybe just hit you funny or something, and then all of a sudden... You made an offhand comment about my driving. Sure. Yes, it was about driving. I don't even know what it was what it was in relation to. I said I was a better driver because I thought that that was just fact. And yeah. then you disputed that. And I just think it's a pretty crazy thing to to look at someone and say... Uh, you're a bad driver and I'm a better driver than you and not expect a response. <laughs> and so, okay. and so I kind of clapped back, but like lightly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the car was like, <laughs> and we were just in the sunken place. <laughs> and, uh, you absolutely hated me for, and we were like two minutes away from home. Just wait until you hear what I was thinking. And you, I can't wait to hear. And you <laughs> pull up in front of home and you hold one hand out. And this is how not on the same page we are. I th- I literally, I reach over with one hand and I go, oh, and I hold your hand and you go, oh, and you turn your hand out and I go, and it was kind of straight as you're pointing at the door to tell me to get out of the car. And I, and I go, oh, weird. She wants to shake hands. And so with my right hand, I reach over and I shake your hand and you go, uh-uh. And you clearly gesture for me to get on. I go, oh, my God, fuck off. What is going on? And then you keep driving. And then on our way back, I go. We parked. Yeah, we park. And then you're just on Instagram as we're walking back. And, back, and I go, are you giving me the cold shoulder? And you go, no. And then we just keep walking. And I was like, what is happening? No, you said, what's your problem? Sure. What's your deal? What's your deal is what I said. And that just fucking... Send me to the sunken place of sunken place. <laughs> Pretty fair. Sunken place of sunken place is scary. Yeah. Pretty fair, I think, to look at someone and say, what's your deal? If out of nowhere, they've just dropped the ice hammer on you. Yeah, but what's your deal is like, fuck you. It just completely shuts down it any was, conversation. It was definitely me putting one fist up. Yeah. And being like, all right. But I already had two fists up. Baby. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so what was going on? Um, I I just hated you. I hated you so much. I was like... I was having a real tailspin of realizing that I was married to you (laughs) (laughs) and just being like, oh, my God, there's no way that anyone can be married to anyone for a long period of time. That was what was going through your mind. Holy hell. I was like, wow, I'm so deeply in love with this person and I fucking hate them. I fucking hate them. I can't like I was just having this moment of like, wow, marriage is terrifying. Like, it's terrifying that I don't have the agency that I've had for the last 24 years of saying I'm going to go home to my own place. And that's really scary when you're really mad at someone. I'm still not used to that. The idea of there's nowhere to hide or the alternative is being in the same apartment together and just fucking not talking to each other and having this, and you and I have had this challenge before where it's like, do we just go to sleep? Do we always resolve things? And I just felt such fucking rage where I was still so frustrated from the conversation we'd had earlier. And then you made like an offhand comment about driving, which was totally warranted on your part. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm just married. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm just stuck with him and how can anyone stay married to anyone for any period of time because this is horrifying and I should get a hotel room was it about me or was it about your lack of agency in the whole thing um I mean I definitely hated you but it wasn't like I was realizing that you had some deficit that I hadn't known before it was more just me realizing that I was in such a bad mood and when I was growing up, I would have tantrums where I would feel, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, but I know I had really bad anger problems as a very little kid. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can still remember that feeling of just sheer helplessness when you're so filled with rage and you don't know what to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. And you're just looking around as a little kid being like, do I slam a door? Do I break something? Like, what do you do with these feelings? Do I leave my spouse? Yeah. But then you grow out of it and you start to realize that there are ways to deal with your emotions. But it was just a really fucking claustrophobic feeling where we'd already had this fight that was really draining, I think, for both of us. And we were walking back to the apartment. And I was just like, fuck, I'm, I'm so annoyed by this interaction. But there's also just no argument to be had because yeah. there wasn't a real conflict that time. And I just hated you. Like, I just in that moment, I wished I could go home to my own apartment and be like, have some dramatic exit. Be like, screw you and walk down the opposite street and go up to my apartment and have you call me the next day. There's something really romantic about that. When you get an argument when you're dating, like when you we got in a big fight, when we started dating and then you showed up the next morning, and you had coffee and scones and it was like, this is beautiful. Oh, I also waited outside your apartment for like two hours. Yeah, I, I showed up at like 7 a.m. to go to work at nine and it was like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And then finally, I think you woke up and picked up your phone. I didn't realize yeah. yet that you were a, a vagabond. <laughs> and so I showed up super early. But I guess anyways, my point is that I was I think my rage was amplified by this complete feeling of being closed in and being like, wow, my my anger means nothing because there's nothing I can do really in this moment. Like I can be a bitch, which I was. I can yell at you, but I can't really go anywhere. I can't prove to you how angry I am and I don't have anything to hold over you. I can't say like. I'm not going to sleep with you tonight. I'm going back to my apartment like we share a bed everything that we have is shared and i just felt so mad all of a sudden and i hated you yeah what did you think about my uh defensive strategy i thought you were being a bitch you really pissed me off but then you we came inside and you said i'm going to bed and i didn't know what to say and i was like okay and then you came back outside and you kind of said are you kidding me and then i think we talked about it a little bit and then we played a video game together and that made me feel better to, cl- to specifically um i came back out and i was like you're going to let me go to bed after this absolutely nothing fight. Uh, and I don't remember exactly what the next thing was, but I was basically just like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, it's absurd to just like, Oh, that's what I said. What is the point of classifying right. me in a binary sense as a bad driver? What's your end game? Right. And then I went to bed and then you came in and I was like, good on you. Like my bet, my bet here was right that this was kind of a nothing thing. I think too, I was being intentionally antagonistic because one thing I'm slowly learning is that the emotional energy between two people in a relationship has a long half-life. So if you and I get in an argument, that kind of icky feeling can really stick around where we're fine. But I'm so much more, my fuse is so much shorter, where I'm so much more likely to be like, fuck you. And that's happened to us a few times where we have a fight, and then maybe an hour later we have another big fight. And then we'll go weeks without having an argument. Because I think there's like this, like, snapping, like, electricity in the air where you're already still a little, your wounds are already open from what happened. And I was still, even though I was happy and I thought we'd reached a good resolution, I was still, like, sensitive. And then you made some, like, really menial joke about me driving. And all of a sudden I was like, fuck you. You won't include me in your health decisions. And it was right back to it. And I feel like that's something I'm still learning is the the power of letting something roll off your shoulders is so much harder than I ever would have thought. Because that was a moment where I should have thought, I'm annoyed. But, but logically, I shouldn't be annoyed by this. And I can just swallow, take a deep breath and be fine. But in those moments, I want to be like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm in a bad mood and you're putting me in a bad mood and I'm not going to let you get away with it. I want to reread the courage to be disliked once a week when we're married, because the thing that you and I keyed in on is the idea that anger is just a tool mm-hmm. and it's something that you use to deliver another emotion or typically it's something that you use in order to exert power over someone else. Right. And I think there's more dimensions to it than just pure anger. I think if I make a sarcastic comment about your driving, there might be something that's similar or a cousin of uh, anger in there, right? And so I wonder if you hear me say that, and this is like an absurd hypothetical where you and I both have the ability to pause time and process emotions and then continue on. But if I make a comment like that, it's either you pausing and being like, why is he saying that? 
or it's you pausing and being like, I can't begin to parse out or intuit why he would be saying that. But if I lash back, like I'm using this anger in order to demonstrate to him that I have value and that I'm a good driver relative to him or, you know, whatever the fill in the blank. Um, or to demonstrate that I have the power to like when you're a kid and you, you feel some satisfaction in knowing that you can nuke a whole day. Yeah. There are moments and just being like, wow, I can fucking yeah. Everyone has the red button all the time. Yeah. I can absolutely ruin this entire evening. And I think your red button gets, uh, bigger and the nukes get bigger when it's just the two of you, because you control 50% of the energy, if not more in a given moment in Mm. a marriage. Versus in like a family dynamic, maybe your your power is lesser because it's you and your sibling and whatever. And your parents right. are like, go to your fucking room. We're going to hang out with your sibling. Um, but here it's just you and I. Right. But the reason I bring it up is because it was interesting to hear you say that um, the electricity in the room is there. Because I think that is like metaphorically akin to power. When you talk about anger kind of lingering after a fight and then we move on to something else. I think I think they're they're always connected. The idea of leveraging power or like unleashing, sorry, unleashing anger in order to um, wield power over the other person. So it's like how I'm trying to think of different mental models almost for us to run ourselves through as a refresh after fights, so that we can kind of discharge that energy. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I mean, we jokingly say all the time, we need to heal. We got healing to do. We got healing to do. And we say that jokingly, but there really is, I think, something that I'm trying to take more seriously, at least for myself, that I need to not have jokes made in the hours after a fight. Or my resilience or my willingness to be like, you and I can be really tough with each other in terms of joking. We can be tough on everything. We have a pretty like intense humor (laughs) thing that we've established, but... I don't think either of us like it after a fight. I think that it's like you have you've just gotten in a scuffle and you have a lot of your skin off and the skin that is exposed to the world is really pink Raw as hell. And it hurts a lot more even when there's something totally unimportant at stake. Mm -hmm. And I also I think what's really scary to me is that that's marriage. That's literally what marriage is. And it makes me understand every married couple I've ever judged before prior where someone has made some offhand comment and someone's been a bitch or an asshole. And all of a sudden they probably had a blowout that morning. Right. And in the moment I would think, I can't believe that you care about that. That's so unimportant. And now I'm thinking, Oh my God, I can completely understand how you could have these little teeny tiny skirmishes. And maybe in the beginning of your marriage, it's over the course of a day where you have this short half-life and all of a sudden you're like, I'm so upset because three hours earlier, but maybe you have a big blowout fight. And then five months later, that argument that you had about your spouse flirting with someone else is still raw. And all these little moments are, are sort of inciting this frustration within you because they add, they add, they add on top of one another. And I think that that's why it's really, really important for both of us to get better at, at, we need to get increasingly more adept at fighting so that even when we're fighting, we're not saying things that extend that half-life. Like we've said this in the past, and I'm not putting this on you because I've said it too. Saying fuck you is a t- is a total elevator immediately. Mm-hmm. And I've said it to you before, so I, I'm okay saying that. Mm-hmm. Or like all those little moments, I think we need to get better at after the fight being aware of one another, but also during the fight recognizing like how can we be working through this while also not adding fucking weaponry to the arsenal for later on. I think this is our time to refine that process and figure out how to how to push that fight down through the system and like out the end tube poop it out um because that's all of that stuff is gonna get harder uh if and when we have kids and we have less sleep and we have less time and we have less everything right system one system two like it is the most like basic thing how do we uh refine a system two process that we feel so good about that we can just jump into that thing all the time versus I think we are born to use a system one like anger in order to create create power for ourselves in a, right. in a given instant. So how do we develop different systems where we don't necessarily gravitate to that system one anger, you know? 
Um, and I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. But you were saying that's kind of romantic, the idea of fighting. I think there's something that there's novelty to it, kind of like kind of like braces, actually, like the thing where we're married now and we're just going to be married. The the idea that you and I have problems that certain groups of people could not possibly have because of the fact that you and I have been together for as long as we've been together. Yeah. What, two years? Two, two years, Most three high years. school relationships three have years. lasted longer than I'm ours. not saying us right now. I'm saying the fact that we are... There are cartons st- of almond milk that last longer than we have. <laughs> I'm not saying us right now. I'm saying um, the fact that we have entered into a thing where we are expecting to be together for right. an absurdly long period of time. Right. The problems that come with that, I actually am starting to savor a little bit. And probably in the way that a kid who is in sixth grade who sees kids in seventh grade with braces is like, ooh, I want that. And then the second he has braces is like, fuck, I can't eat white bread. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like that right now where I'm like, this is there's something kind of interesting about the fact that you and I are going to be uh, encountering and hopefully breaking down things that we could not otherwise possibly encounter via our ridiculous commitment to a ridiculously long partnership with one person. I agree with you. I felt that romanticism for our first argument about health. What alarms me about the second issue is that I had no interest in arguing or talking. I genuinely just wanted to hate you. And I didn't, I like, I hated myself. And when you were looking at me saying, are you really gonna let me go to bed? There was a part of me that just wanted to be like, yeah, fuck you. Like, I just, I had no, and so often I think I want to, I I love working through things with you. I genuinely find it to be like intellectually exciting and stimulating. But in that moment, I I really felt like a a cliche of a married person where I just wanted to fucking flip you the finger and not talk because there was nothing to say. There was no reason, there was no specific wound that you had done to me besides the one that we had already resolved. It was just me being fucking upset that i was sharing an apartment with you if that makes you panic imagine how it makes me feel i know no i know and i think that's what i really am trying to guard against for myself is the i want to stay aware that as we stay together we become increasingly um used to one another in a sense that it's not a gift it's a we become when you stay with someone for long enough you're no longer variable you're the control And I want to remember that you are always a variable. Like my relationship with you might feel like a control, but it can change at any given moment. And I could lose that if I'm not treating it like something I have to constantly be aware of and be conscious of and not treat it like you are not my parent. You can leave if you want. As much as we joke about being stuck with each other, we could easily get divorced. We could leave each other. We could get separated. A thousand percent. Recognizing that I can't get complacent is something I really want to work on for myself. And I think I'm usually good at it, good at it. But there was a moment last night where I was in, once we were okay, I was like, wow, I was really cool with you going to sleep really upset and me going to sleep furious. Yeah. I was fine with that. And yeah. that's really scary. You now know what airlocking is like. <laughs> that is what airlocking is. Do you want to explain that? I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything to explain. I think that's kind of self-evident in the term. Just the idea of emotionally being like, you know what? I no longer care. It's a crazy, crazy thing. It's honestly probably sociopathic in some way. Riley airlocks. Yeah. There's kind of a push and a pull in what you were just saying. The fact that either of us can leave at any point. To your point last night, like the, I don't know if it's the push or the pull, but on the one side, the fact that I can leave is a little bit of a fire under your butt to be like, oh, I can't just fucking airlock him and be a total asshole and let him go to bed. But then on the other side, the fact that you yourself can actually leave at some point, I almost feel like lets a little bit of air out of it where you're not just like, oh my God, I'm trapped in this bullshit for the rest of my life. Like, cause I feel like that kind of claustrophobia is almost one of the things that can make you short circuit a little bit where you're sitting there thinking what, like it just, it just goes on for like, how do we even begin to start to unpack this stuff? Does it even matter if I start to unpack this? Like right. what's the whole point of this whole thing? But I think that kind of existentialism as it pertains to a relationship both takes some of the pressure off and puts some of the pressure on in the right places. And I like that. 
I can yes. leave you at any point. You can. Yeah, so those are the fights. Good thing we pack it all in right before every week, huh? Get a lot of good content. <laughs> yeah, that sucked. Not much else to say. But we are powering through home stuff, and I feel good as hell about it. What's your lesson for the week? What's my lesson for the week? That I could leave you at any given moment. <laughs> yeah. Number one is remember. Yeah, actually, I, I think I'm going to end up with something that's more tangible. But number one is how to stay in love. Remember that it's constantly an earned thing, which sounds like such <laughs> yeah. sounds like such a Pinterest board. But literally, I think literally I think, liter- like like literally figuratively and literally. Seriously. Wow. Fuck you. I hope a piece of fuselage off of a plane <laughs> breaks off and slams through our window <laughs> and kills us, but the cats what? stay alive. I hope the cats live. Who would they go to? Lauren. Lauren, probably. Lauren's sucks. allergic and has that a baby. <laughs> There's no way. Oh my God, that breaks my heart. Who would take them? Maybe Annie would. Honestly, first Annie person first person to listen to this and call us and say, I would take the cats, you're getting rid of the will. Yeah, we're going to include you. Okay. They're angels. Yeah. Sweet babushkas. Yeah. Lesson. Okay, my real lesson, um, my superficial one is kind of what I just said. Like, remember that the fact that this exists solely because you have willed it into existence, the two of you, is both a push and a pull. It takes off the pressure on you because it's like... I'm not trapped here. I can just think about this thing as a human being. We're just two human beings. We're not this weird figurative entity of a relationship. And on top of that, I should probably think about how I'm presenting so that my partner doesn't want to leave me. So I think, I think there's some good stuff to remember, like the kind of existential fear there. But I think since we talked about health for so long, I think my You big- need one lesson. That's the whole point of this. Oh, well, um, <laughs> since... Since I'm one of the co-founders of the podcast, I think I'm going to go ahead and have two. I think my second one about health as it pertains to how to stay in love is, oh my God, Caroline's making get it on motions. No, I'm not. I'm making speed up motions. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like get it over with, not get it on. Uh, You've got way more stuck points baked into how you're approaching the relationship than you could possibly even fathom. My health was something that I would never have thought if you had sat me down at the beginning before we got married, say we did some kind of like bullshit church or you guys like fit to be married kind of thing. Yeah. The thing that you should do. The thing that you should do. I, by no means would I have been like very early on in life. I internalized my own healthcare <laughs> and I'm going to have a problem sharing that process with my spouse so like that's a new thing that I learned this week Uh, and just being open to the fact that uh, you're always going to continue to encounter new shit that you didn't realize you're going to have a hard time with that's a big one so what have you learned about how to stay in love what I have learned is that fights have a long half life oh that's a good one and treat each other you need to treat your partner with increased sensitivity following um an intense fight because it can take longer to heal than you are necessarily aware of. So treating each other gently all the time, but especially after you have both faced a little bit of fear in realizing that you're not perfect or that you're not totally on board with the same things all the time. Um, I know I always do this. Can I ask a question about that? Yes. Do you think it's a male thing because I think it might be a male thing. Okay, you're not asking a question. That's a leading question. You just want to talk. I've got a point to make. Okay, can then I, make your point. Can I build, ask me a can question. Can I build on your thing? Yes. That when you're in that, like, we're raw and we're pink and we're vulnerable phase, I know that sometimes I'm actually more likely. Oh, my God. Sometimes I'm more like, oh, my God. What am I doing? Mommy and daddy are close to finishing their second drinks is what's happening. <laughs> and Caroline's. I'm looking whiskey like a kid. <laughs> Tagline for the podcast. <laughs> um, God, I've got a real thing here. Go. 
Jesus, man. After, Take control of your own destiny. When we're raw and like vulnerable and all that stuff. Vulnerable? I, uh, vulnerable. I'm more likely to actually poke you with a joke to prove to both of us that we're still close. We're over it and right. we're fine. And you're like, like you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> how do you overcome that though? Because you should be waiting for as long as possible and not poking each other. For the same But the instinct is to go and poke to say we're over it, we're fine. You overcome it in the same way you overcome so many instincts that humans have to overcome by teaching yourself to overcome it. Yeah. The same way you do anything, the same way you teach people to sit at the table, the same way you, that's the lesson. What? You learn how to do it by teaching yourself how to do it. Great. That's your third lesson of the day. It's not my lesson. (laughs) Is that my lesson? It's me projecting. It's me mansplaining your lesson. God, I fucking hate you. Let's play Rocket League. Oh my god, I look at that lesson. Oh my god, let us. Let us. Fuck on Rocket League. I'm drunk. I'm drunk too because you poured me a three-fingered second drink. I think I love you.